Well, as you can tell, we have focused our service today on prayer, prayer in terms of communion with God and prayer in our songs and prayer throughout life. You know, prayer is a thing that most everybody knows something about. A few years ago, the Associated Press took a survey of Americans, and they discovered in their survey that about 75% of all Americans pray at some time or another. Now, that doesn't mean that all these people are Christians or that they belong to some other religious group that emphasizes prayer, but that people find themselves reaching out to God in times when they need help. And it may be these folks are just sort of throwing a Hail Mary pass. They don't know if anybody's there or not, but they're going to try prayer because they're desperate. Kind of reminds me of a story that's been around quite a while. It's about a man who was trapped in a flood. As the waters rose around his house, he thought, my goodness, this is getting bad. And the roads were covered, his driveway was blocked, and so he started praying. And his prayer was, Lord, please rescue me from this flood. And so before too long, there was a knock on his door. He thought, my goodness, who's knocking on my door? So he opened the door, and there was a guy in a rowboat. And the man said, I've come to help you get out of the flood. Come on and join me. And the man said, oh, no, I can't because I prayed to God and God's going to rescue me. And the waters kept rising, and finally the water got in his house. And the first floor became so deep with water, he climbed up to the second floor, and he kept praying, Lord, please rescue me from this flood. And so in a little while, he heard this loudspeaker, anybody in the house, anybody in the house? And he raised up a window from the second floor, and out there was a a boat with a motor on it, and looked like the Coast Guard was there. And there were several people in this boat. It was kind of a larger boat. And they said, come on, help, uh, come with us. We're here to rescue you. He said, no thanks. God is going to rescue me. I've been praying for God, and God's going to rescue me. And they tried to encourage him to get in the boat, but he wouldn't do it. And the water kept rising. Finally, the water covered on the second floor, and he climbed out a window and got out on the roof of his house. And as far as he could see, there was little bit water and rooftops. And he just kept saying, Lord, please save me from this flood. Please save me from this flood. And directly he heard a noise. He looked up and there was a helicopter. And the helicopter was hovering right above his house. And they let down a rope ladder. And a loudspeaker said, get the rope and we'll save you. And he said, no, no, God will save me. God's going to save me. You go right ahead. And so the water kept rising and the water kept rising. And finally he drowned in the flood. And when he got to heaven was able to talk to God, he said, God, I don't know why you didn't answer my prayer. I prayed and prayed and prayed for you to deliver me. He said, my son, I sent two boats and a helicopter. What more would you want me to do? Sometimes our prayers are answered in ways that are not obvious to us, but God answers prayer. Well, our scripture reading for the message today is Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 through chapter 4, verse 7. That's not as long as it may seem. You follow with me as I read it out loud. You can see it on the screen or you can use your Bibles. Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 27. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. And I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, 
though he is the owner of everything. Instead, he is under guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elements of the world. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. Now, doesn't mention prayer, but stay tuned. We're going to come to that in just a minute. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us prayer as a means of communication, as a means of expressing our wants, our desires, our praise, our thanks, as a way of communing with you, O Lord. And here this morning as we've communed with you through the Lord's Supper and through songs and greetings and through prayers, we ask now that you will continue speaking to us, helping us to hear your voice and teaching us about prayer. We pray this, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to do the same thing today that I did last week in that this is not so much an expositional sermon on prayer as it is what I might call a lesson on prayer. And so please hear these lessons, and these are not learned through academic pursuit, but through experience. I know what I'm talking about. This is the way prayer really works. Three things you must have before you can rightly pray. You must have faith, number one, that God exists. You must have faith that God exists. As I said a minute ago, some people might say a Hail Mary prayer. I mean, God, if you're really there, will you do something? And we may have heard someone give testimony that God answered that kind of prayer, but that's not exactly the best way to pray. If you believe that God exists, then you have a foundation on which you can start praying. Number two, you must believe God hears prayer. I read an interesting account this week about Bill Gates. Some of you know who Bill Gates is. He's a very rich man, very famous man, because he's an internet genius. And he and a friend started a company called Microsoft. I guess you've heard of that one. And back in the days when internet was not as common as it is now, Bill Gates was being interviewed for an article by the New Yorker magazine. And the New Yorker magazine talked about all the different things that computers could do and how marvelous it was. And in the article, they gave out Bill Gates' email address. And he immediately began to get thousands upon thousands of emails. He couldn't possibly answer all those emails. And so Bill Gates put in some sophisticated software to his computer that was able to filter his emails, was able to tell which ones are more important that he should take notice of or have an assistant take notice of, and those that were not so important, and he really didn't have to get to those. Now, the point is, if God is more powerful than Bill Gates, I kind of think he is. What do you think? And God is certainly richer than Bill Gates. And so if Bill Gates can put in some software to filter his email, don't you think God is able to filter prayer mail? So that he knows our hearts, he knows our minds, he knows our needs before we ask him, but at the same time, he invites us to pray 
and ask for answers to our prayers. And so you must believe that God exists. You must believe that God hears prayer. And thirdly, you must believe that God is concerned and God answers prayer. And some of you already know this, but there are three answers that God gives to prayer. One of these three answers will always come to you when you sincerely pray. The first one is, yes, you can have what you ask for. I will give it to you. The second one is, no, what you're asking for isn't good for you. I know the future. You don't know the future. And so I'm not going to give it to you. The third answer is yes, but not now. Now, kids, when your parents say that to you, not now, doesn't it frustrate you? You see, but God knows perfect. <laughs> I see that. I see that in the face. God knows perfect timing for everything we ask him for. And so sometimes yes, because we ask a right for something God wants to give us. Sometimes no, because it's not good for us. And sometimes he says, wait, not now is the, grand, is the right time. God has a grand plan. God has a big design. And he wants to accomplish his purpose. And the closer we draw to God, the more intimate we become in our prayer life, the more we learn about God and praying to God, the more we will ask in such a way that God will say, yes, my child, this is exactly what I want you to have. Can you imagine, moms and dads, if when you were trying to teach your kids to eat their veggies, they came to you and said, Mom, I hope when we have supper this evening, you'll prepare some peas and some green beans and some carrot and some of that lovely yellow squash. Would you do that, please? Now, after you got up off the floor you probably would be delighted to do that. But sometimes kids want to have ice cream for breakfast, right? And what do you do with that? Well, if you're a good parent, you probably don't give it to them because you know that's not good for them, and we only want to give them good stuff. So those are three requirements, prerequisites, if you will, for serious and sincere prayer. Now, let me give you three truths about prayer. You may have heard me say these before. I got these from one of my seminary professors, and I don't know how this came about, but one day in class, he began talking about prayer, and he gave us these three things, and I've never forgotten them, and I've tried to say them a lot so people would pick up on this. Number one, some things God will not do even if we pray. You say, well, why would not God give us something and automatically would not give us something? Well, simply because it's not a part of his will or it's not a part of his character. It's not a part of his will. It's not a part of his character. And so when you ask for those things, you don't expect any answer because God's already said, no, he's not going to do that. Now, there are some things God will do whether or not we pray. For instance, how many of you prayed last night that the sun would come up this morning? None of us, because that's going to happen. God has decided that that's the way this world is going to go until Jesus comes, until the end of time. There's going to be a process of evening and morning and evening and morning, just like it began in the book of Genesis. Evening and morning, not morning and evening, but in the Bible it's morning, evening and morning the first day. Evening and morning the second day. God is going to continue this process as long as life exists on earth, as long as uh, the time is before Jesus comes back. And so you don't have to pray. It's going to happen. However, there are some things that will happen only if we pray. 
Now, I don't always know how to distinguish those things. If you have a question as to whether or not this is something God wants to give you or not, pray for it. And you will learn eventually whether God's going to give it to you or not, or you may learn something in Scripture that says this is not something God wants, or God indeed will give it to you. So these are just three prayer principles. Some things are not going to happen even if you pray. Some things will happen whether you pray or not. Some things happen only if we pray. Now, I hope that encourages you to pray. Make a list. I encourage people to make prayer lists. Sometimes I won't remember to pray for things if I don't write it down. That's why some of you will say, Pastor, would you pray for this or this person or whatever? I said, put it on a prayer card. If you write it on your connection card, put it in the offering plate, we'll get it. And on Tuesday morning, we will pray for it. But if you don't write it down, I may not remember it. And so please write it down. Hand me a piece of paper, put it on a prayer card. But you see, we need to pray. Now, I want to get down to what I really have today in the message for you, and I want to get down to where we're going to talk about that scripture in the book of Galatians. This is the real message today. Here are three reasons why prayer really works. First one is this. God is the one who initiates prayer. God starts the conversation. You don't have to start it. You say, now, wait a minute. How does that work? Well, follow with me. God is a God who speaks. Do you believe that? In the first chapter of the book of Genesis, the Bible says God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light. And there was light. Why did the light come about? Because God spoke. God spoke it into existence. God said, let this happen, and that happened. And throughout the days of creation, God spoke. Now, the question is, does God speak today? He speaks today just as loudly and just as clearly as he did in the days of creation. How does he speak? Through nature. Theologians call this natural revelation. When you consider the stars and the handiwork that God has given to us, like in Psalm 8, the Bible tells us this. When you see how the seasons are in order every year, I mean, we may not like the seasons. Sometimes we think the summer lasts too long or the winter is too cold. Sometimes we think spring doesn't come soon enough. However, we think, but the seasons are all in an order and never get out of order. Every year is 365 and one-fourth days long. You see, all the order of nature shows us that God is speaking. What is he saying? He's saying, I love you. I provided for you. I made you. I put you in this world. I've given you everything you need for life and happiness and wholeness. God is speaking. How can you not get up on a morning like today and watch the sunrise over the horizon? And see how the sky turns colors when the sun rises. And see how the trees are illuminated and their leaves are, are still coming out so bright and so clear. And, and the Lord willing, if we have enough autumn weather, we're going to see the colors change. Or if you go to the mountains, you might see the colors change. What is that? It is God speaking and saying to you, I love you. I have provided for you. I will continue to provide for you. God is speaking through creation in nature. 
Now, there's also, in terms of theologians and their talk about it, there's also this revelation. We call it general revelation or natural revelation, but there's a second kind of revelation, and theologians call it special revelation. Some of you who've been to seminary, you may remember that description. And special revelation is where God has crashed through the norm of nature and given us something very special so that we'll recognize that He indeed is God. And what is that special revelation except the revelation of Jesus Christ? That's why when Jesus was born, there was a special star to guide certain magi to the place where He was born. And when the baby was born in Bethlehem, there were angels who came and announced that birth to some shepherds out in the field at night. And when Jesus was being uh, born and he was beginning to grow up a little bit, possibly somewhere between birth and two years of age, the devil rose up and tried to stop him. Some of you may remember reading in the book of Revelation about the dragon who was chasing a pregnant woman. And this pregnant woman was about to give birth and the dragon's plan was to snatch up that baby and to devour that baby so the baby could not grow to become a man. And that's a picture in the book of Revelation of the birth of Jesus. And so the special revelation shows us that God did something about the sin condition of humanity. God did something to spare us what we deserve for our sins. He sent a Savior and to verify that we have eyewitness accounts otherwise known as the Gospels, that show us that He speaks. And when you know God speaks, when you know God has said something, when you're aware of the presence of God, it is an invitation to pray. You know, there's something in each of us that needs to reach out to something or someone or some something to help us in times of need. And that's where atheists can pray. There's an old saying that there are no atheists in foxholes. I think some atheists may take umbrage at that and (laughs) disagree with that, but when bullets are flying and you know that you could die, you might be persuaded that if there's a God, you want to get to know Him. There's something in us, there are times in our lives when God calls to us and by His Spirit He says, come to me, I want you, I want a relationship with you. C.S. Lewis, in one of his writings, I don't remember which one now, he said, when God is blessing us, it's as though he's whispering to us his approval and his love. But when we suffer pain, God is shouting to us and says, you need me. You need me. And some of you are going through that now, or you know someone who is, maybe someone in your family or close friendships. Someone is in pain. Someone is suffering. And God is saying, I'm here, I'm with you, I will be with you in pain or trouble throughout your days, and I'm waiting for you when you come home. God initiates prayer, and He's calling you today to pray. What is God calling you to pray for? You have someone who is in your family or in your friendship, in your neighborhood who is lost, without a Savior, are you praying for them? Are there people in your connections who are in suffering conditions and they need healing? Are there people who are going through difficult times, maybe through a job situation, through a family situation, maybe a bad marriage is about to break up? 
and God needs to intervene to bring healing for the marriage to be saved. Whatever it may be, God is calling to you and putting a desire in your heart to pray. God initiates prayer. The second reason we should pray is because of adoption. And this is where the text we read comes in. Because of adoption, I have a right to pray. Now, I'm not really big on Christian rights. I think sometimes we Christians make too much of the rights that we have, but this is one that you need to pay attention to. It's unusual for us in the Western world to think about the word adoption being used as a picture of our salvation. We know about adoption, and and perhaps some of you here in the church have adopted children, or maybe you are an adopted child. Maybe you grew up under adoption. And so we have certain rules and, and laws regarding adoption, but it was different in the biblical day. And that's why Paul could use adoption as a picture of salvation. In the Roman world, when a child was adopted, the child could be at any age. It wasn't necessarily a baby or a small child. You see, in those days, adoption was not necessarily because a couple wanted a child or they couldn't have a child. That was not usually the reason for adoption. The reason for adoption most often in the Roman world was because they wanted that person to come into their family. Maybe they needed that person's working ability. Maybe they needed that person's professional knowledge and experience. And so the man who ran the family, the man who may have been an official or maybe he had a business, but probably he was a person of wealth, would pick a person or persons to come into their family And once the adoption was finalized and there were legal ways that this was done, then that adopted person would have every bit of legal right to all that the owner held as any natural born child would have. Now, the way Paul explains it, you need to know a little bit more about the way the Roman children were raised and it became pretty much universal in the Roman ruled world. A child born into the family would be raised not by the parents necessarily, but by slaves who were designated to take care of the kids, nannies, if you will. And so these children were treated as children, but they were treated no better than slaves. They were given their trainings, they were given their clothing, their food, their health care, whatever they needed. But there was a designated time when that child would then be declared an adult. And pick an age, maybe it was 12, maybe it was 16, maybe it was 18. Remember in those days, people didn't live as long as they do these days. Life expectancy was less, the lifespan was generally shorter. And so it might have been at a younger age, but whenever that age was declared, then they were no longer treated as slaves, but they were brought to full adult status in terms of their legal rights. And so what Paul is saying in this text in Galatians is that we became Christians, it is as though God adopted us into his family with all the rights and privileges as an adult from day one. And what this means for you and me is that we have full rights to enter into the presence of God through prayer, and your right is not any better than my right nor is anybody else's in this world any better than your right to enter the throne room and to pray. Now, let me give you a verse of Scripture that I think is very encouraging at this point. It's in, uh, 
Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12. Ephesians. It says this, In Him, that is in Christ, we have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. We have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. Now folks, I'm not trying to be derogatory here when I make this statement, but this is where we as believers Evangelical believers, Baptist believers, have a great difference in our theology than those who are Catholics. In the Catholic Church, prayer is encouraged, but oftentimes the Catholic person is taught to pray through a saint or even to a saint. Now, who are the saints? These are the people that the Catholic Church, through the traditions and through the centuries, have set aside as special Christians who have merited certain spaces and certain places of honor and respect. And that's why many churches are often named by saint, you know, Saint Athanasius. We don't even know who that is, but that's one of the saints. And there are a lot of Saint Marys and Saint Josephs. And uh, I don't know anybody that's named Saint Jim or Saint George. Well, there is a Saint George, I think. And what they believe is that these people who've been designated saints, who've been elevated to sainthood through the canonization by the Catholic Church, have more merit and therefore are closer to God, and you can pray to them and ask them to ask God on your behalf for some favor. That's just directly against what Scripture teaches. It is opposed to the Bible. And so what we find in Ephesians 3.12 is that we, individual believers, regardless of how long you've been a Christian, regardless of how much scripture you've recognized or memorized, regardless of whatever place you may have in the church, you have access by faith to come before God in boldness without fear. Why? Because you're an adopted child. You have the credentials. You're a card-carrying believer. You are a card-carrying son, child, daughter of God. And you have every privilege and right to go before God and to request or to complain. <laughs> yeah, you can complain to God and he won't become angry. How about that? To confess sin, that you might have a, clean, a cleansed conscience. And so not only... Are we called by God to pray because he initiates prayer, but also we have a right to pray. And then thirdly, here's the third thing. You can come to God in prayer because you know that God always answers prayer on the basis of grace. The basis of grace. Now, just in case you don't understand the word grace, let me give you just a little tutorial on grace. Some people like to use an acrostic to define grace. That's fine. G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's pretty good. God's riches at Christ's expense. The word grace is like an acrostic. However, I think a better definition of it, though that one's true, is that grace is when God gives us something we do not deserve. 
Grace is when God pours out on us something that's good, and we don't deserve it, and we know we don't deserve it. It's a matter of grace. What is one of the most favorite songs among Christians all over the world? Amazing Grace. What's so amazing about it? Because it saved a wretch like me. <laughs> now, you may not recognize yourself as a wretch. Hey, but I've been learning about you guys, and most of you are. No, no. <laughs> all of us are, right? We are all wretches from a spiritual standpoint. Not one of us have the ability in our own strength, in our own goodness, in our own merits to say, God, I don't need much grace because I'm a pretty good person. The Bible declares our righteousness is as filthy rags. In other words, the best things I do, the best person I am, is nothing except filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. And so that's why the Bible says you are saved by grace. Through faith, but it's by grace that you're saved. And so when you go to God in prayer and you lift up your request or you lift up your confessions, you say, God, I'm just here to say I love you. He receives it not because you're worthy but because of his grace. And you know one of the biggest tricks and oldest tricks of the devil is to make you think that you shouldn't pray because you're not worthy to pray. The devil will put in your mind these thoughts. These are like the fiery darts from the devil. The Bible describes them in Ephesians chapter 6. And he says these fiery darts keep throwing toward us. And what do we have to deflect the fiery darts? The shield of faith. That's right. So what does faith have to do with it? Well, our faith says, listen, I am not worthy, I'll never be worthy, but by the blood of Jesus Christ, my sins have been covered, and I come before the throne of grace. Amen? Let me give you a scripture verse on that. You need to memorize this one if you haven't. It's, if, it's Hebrews 4.16. Hebrews 4.16. It says, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Now, I've tried to say this enough to where you remember it, but maybe you haven't remembered it yet. Let me say it again. Grace and mercy are two sides of the same coin. It's the coin of love. Grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve. Mercy, on the other side, is when God withholds from us what we do deserve. If I got exactly what I deserved, I would be in hell, and you would too. But the mercy of God withholds from me what I rightly deserve. The grace of God gives to me primarily salvation, and I never could deserve it. And so here we have this proposition from God. You are invited to come before the throne of grace, not before the throne of merits, the throne of good works, the throne of giving a lot of money or going to church every Sunday or being a Sunday school teacher or a deacon or a preacher or a missionary. God doesn't call us to that throne. He calls us to the throne of grace so that the weakest believer has as much access to God as the strongest Christian you could ever know. The vilest sinner, the worst person you could ever imagine has as much opportunity to come to that throne of grace and simply confess their sin and ask for forgiveness and receive it as the best person you could imagine. 
If you get sick and you want somebody praying for you, who do you want praying for you? I mean, I'll pray for you, but you've got to write it down <laughs> so I won't forget it. And you can ask a lot of people to pray for you, but you see, none of us has more access to the throne of grace than anybody else. And that's the genius of prayer. It has been said that Satan fears the weakest Christian on his knees than he does anything else. Because even the weakest Christian, even the newest baby Christian, has as much access to God's throne as the seasoned saints who've served God for decades and scores of years. So the question is, why don't we pray more? Why don't we pray more? Let me leave you with another scripture passage. It's in Hebrews chapter 4. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Listen, God knows you, God knows me. He knows everything that exists in my mind, though you don't. I've been told that I have like a poker face. People don't know what I'm thinking. And, and I guess that's good. I don't know. I, there are other people like my wife and my oldest son. They can't lie with a straight face. Uh, my oldest son was trying to tell us a lie one time, and his mouth kind of twisted a little funny. And he just couldn't do it and keep his face, you know. But God knows. You may be one of those persons, and you could fool people. You could pretend to be one thing and be something totally different. You could tell a lie, and nobody would know it was a lie. But God knows. And so God calls us to prayer. He knows our hearts. He knows the intimate details of our lives. And he still says, come. Come into my presence before my throne because it's a throne of grace. Now let's bow our heads for a moment. What is it that God is calling you to come into his presence about today? Is there something in your life where you've sinned against God? And you've never owned up to it before God. You've never said, Lord, please forgive me because I know that was wrong. You may have to do restitution. God may direct you to go to someone and apologize. God may require you to pay back something you took that was not yours. And maybe you've been fearful of coming before God because of what the consequences could be. But please, he lovingly calls you before the throne of grace. You may have burdens on your heart today that are just so heavy. Burdens for someone you love, someone in your family. Burdens for someone you know, and they're not quite family, but you care about them. Burdens for a lost person. As we conclude the service today, I'm going to invite you to come and join me here at the front of the church for prayer.